State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Champions to be a champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment, connected with In a world we're vulnerable, considered weak. Come and remove the veil from entertainment's elite. It's the difference between what is real and what the public sees. So here's your favorite celebrities behind the scenes. It's refreshing, authentic, the whole story specific. Life altering events to shape the person that you hear. We got a champion and carry champion. Hey girl, you did it. It's the greatest in sports and entertainment connected with us. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. A champion and carry champion. Hey girl, you did it. Got a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment connected with us. The people I felt like gave me the most game, the most wisdom that taught me the most, who I felt like I owed something to, wasn't there. Hey everyone, welcome to Naked with Carrie Champion. My next guest is a perfect example of what it means to be naked. To tell the truth when you really don't feel like telling the truth because it exposes who you really are. And if you want to sit here and join me on this podcast in your underwear or without clothes on at all, in your birthday suit, do that too. I don't think I can do that because if I'm being honest, which is what I'm going to try to do and vulnerable, I don't want y'all to see the dimples in my booty. I don't want you to see what I am filtering out, you know, on the gram, but I am willing to reveal my soul, my spirit, my heart. And to me, that's far more valuable than the physical. And that's what my next guest is going to do. He is going to tell us who he is from top to bottom and I'm sure, in fact, I promise you, it's a lesson in that. Sit back, relax, get naked if you like, but pay attention to our next guest as he joins us on the Naked Podcast. My name is Stephen Jesse Jackson. My grandfather's name is Jesse Jackson. So I'm similar, I'm just like him. I think I inherited a lot of his traits uh he was the bread he was the breadwinner of our family and the backbone he provided for everybody and what's funny was the year he passed was my first year in the nba so i feel like i inherited that role to protect and and and, and provide for the family i was born in port arthur texas well actually i was born in houston texas uh hour away from port arthur texas and uh i was raised there until i was about four or five years old in third ward texas you all know Steven Jackson as an NBA champion. You know him as a podcaster, an analyst, 
uh, and arguably a face of a civil rights movement that changed our 2020. However, Steven Jackson at his core was a basketball player. He had a natural talent at a very young age, a talent that I'm sure he would say he took for granted. And if it wasn't for folks who noticed that talent in the neighborhood and demanded that he use his talent, he wouldn't be where he is today. Take a listen to Steven Jackson talking about his childhood. Well, I started playing basketball when I was four. Um, I remember having a friend named Charlie and um, he was the kid in the neighborhood that had all the games, you know, he had everything. So all the kids like me who didn't have nothing used to go to his house after school and hang with him and try to play his games and stuff. And his dad, he played basketball. They had a um, YMCA team at the time. And I was good on the West side, but my mom didn't have money. Nobody had money for me to join the league. So his parents brought me on their team and, and allowed me to play with them and paired a guy named Perry Goldberg. Um, I think my first game, Kerry, uh, we went to Beaumont and played a team and the score, the final score of the game was 42 to 44. I had 42 points and my other teammate had two. Uh, at that age, people saw something in me. You know, I'm, I'm five years old, so I really don't know what's done. I'm just playing basketball, having fun. As time passed, millions of times where I almost ruined my life, millions of times where I wanted to be a thug, millions of times where I almost got arrested, millions of times where I almost got shot. My city protected me. And I think as I was growing up and playing basketball, I got to play my senior year in high school. Um, we had just won the championship in 95 and I was supposed to go to Oak Hill Academy my senior year. My, uh, this is one of the biggest high, high school basketball programs in the country. I didn't want to go. I wanted to stay in the hood, play basketball, and win another state championship with my people. <laughs> I had no idea. Thinking about the NBA net, my coach and my mom pulled me to the side and basically forced me to go to Oak Hill Academy. I'm not even thinking, you know, where the school could take me at the time. I just wanted to stay with my friends, play basketball, and be a normal kid. Just not knowing that sending me to Oak Hill was the best thing for me. I was able to make the McDonald's game and all, all, all type of stuff. I was saying that to say, they saw something in me as a teenager that I didn't see. I didn't see NBA. I didn't even see college. I was seeing survival, Kerry. I was trying to survive to see the next day. I was trying to, I was trying to, hang with my friends, but not get shot like my friends. You know, it, it, was, it was it was all those type of things that I was dealing with, not even thinking about basketball, but I was blessed to have those people in my life to see further than I could see. Nothing has ever come easy for Steven Jackson, and he'll tell you that himself. However, uh, leaving Arizona, not by choice, but because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, he didn't graduate and enter the draft in a traditional way like the other standouts who had the same exact resume he did. For instance, Kobe Bryant was in his quote unquote draft class. But Steven Jackson had to take an unlikely route to the NBA. And it was all because he still was fighting with the streets. He couldn't let him go. My best friend named John Johnson, rest in peace. I used to, I used to drive back and forth from Houston with him a lot of times, do some things for him. So he's getting his house raided by the drug task force. A lot of the people that worked at the drug task force was at our high school game. So they know me and they know my family from the city. His house is getting raided. He's across the street at the neighbor's house and he calls me. He was like, bro, I need you. I'm like, John, anything. You the reason why I got on Jordans right now, like anything. He's like, they tearing my house up, they in my room, but what they looking for is not in my room. It's in the front room. I need you to go get it. I'm like, man, please, ain't no way. This is what I'm thinking in my mind. But then again, I'm thinking this is, 
this is who feed me right now. You know, I, I, I want my brother to look nice if I have the draft party. I want to look nice. You know, all these things run, run, run through my mind. So I go. I, I, I get this girl to bring me. I go over there. I knock on the door. Um, his aunt answers the door, and her son is standing on the side. It was just so happened his, uh, his, his cousin played basketball as well. So when I got in the door and the police ran to the front door, what are you doing here? We know you know where John is. Tell us. My, I thought quick. I'm here to check on his little cousin. He played basketball with me. I saw the police. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. We know you lying. Where's John Johnson? Bam, they went back to the room. Soon as I walk in, I look at his aunt, dead in his eye. She look at me. We both know what I'm there for. Grab it, put it in my drawers, run out the door. As I'm walking out the door, Carrie, I'm grabbing the car door. All I hear is Jackson. Immediately, my body go into full sweat. Soaking wet, I'm so nervous. What I have on me, Carrie, could have put me in jail for 30 years. He tapped me on my shoulder like, Jackson, we know you know with John Johnson. As I turn around, I'm sweating. He just hands me his card. I take the card, hop in the car, go get John and go to Houston. He gives me $10,000 for that. Now, Carrie, I, it was the dumbest thing that I could have ever done in my life, getting ready to go to the NBA, but I wasn't in that mind frame. You know, I, I was thinking about that moment. I wasn't, you know, I didn't know if I was going to make it to the draft, you know, and, uh, but that was, that was probably the craziest thing and the dumbest thing I did at that moment. And the reason why Stephen Jackson says that was the dumbest thing he could have ever done especially in that moment he's on his way to the league his life is getting ready to change a friend asks for a favor and that favor leads him to a very compromising position if the cops decided to search him in that moment what do you think would have happened and if, if he would have searched me it would have been over with you would have never heard about stephen jackson and he's right we would have never heard about stephen jackson but we have and he's here today and as he's made his way in the league and become a success. He also talks about those who didn't make it with him. A lot of who he is, a lot of his naked characteristics have to do with death. He talks about losing his older brother and how that eventually shaped him into the person he is today. My older brother was killed over a girl that he was dating. Three guys jumped him, uh, bust his head with pipes where he had 18 staples in his head. He was he was a vegetable, he wouldn't have lived. Anyway, you know, um, I think a day, a day or two after it happened, he died, you know, I got a chance to say something to him and he shed a tear and he died a couple hours after. A uh, big reason for me making it was because of him. A lot of this, a lot of the good and bad stuff I learned from my older brother, talking to girls, smoking weed, sneaking alcohol in the movies to see Minister Society and Juice. I was with him, I learned everything from him. And I knew the life he was living was because he wanted to see a better life, you know, and, and and I knew a lot of things my brother was doing in the streets. A lot of people respected me because of the stuff he was doing. You know what I mean? Whether it was good or bad, they left me alone because of him. And so I knew I knew his heart, Carrie. I knew his heart, whether it was, you know, he did some things that he shouldn't have done. I knew his heart. And I felt like if I had a chance to make it while he was alive, I kind of I could have changed some things around. It hurt. My grandfather wasn't there that hurt. The people I felt like gave me the most game, the most wisdom that taught me the most, who I felt like I owed something to, wasn't there. It hurt, but at the same time, 
I was happy because, you know, it's still my mom, my brother, my sister, still people. You know, I had two kids at the time when I first got in the NBA. So I still had responsibilities. I still had people I cared about. But I knew having, having my brother with me, it would just have been different. I would have been, I would have been protected. I wouldn't have to be the protector all the time. You know what I mean? And, and that's just the security he gave me. So after a few years of being cut and trying out for different teams in the league and also playing overseas, Steven Jackson finds himself in the starting lineup in 2000 for the New Jersey Nets. It's a bittersweet situation, Kerry, because I get there, I'm starting the whole first half of the season, I'm leading all rookies in scoring, make the rookie all-star game, come back after the rookie, I don't play at all. I don't start. I don't play. I'm like, what did I do? Like, what did I do? You know what I'm saying? And I, I don't know if they wanted to play their veterans. Uh, at that time, Byron Scott White was was really like a second mother to me because I was there. I was 18, 18, 19 at the time, probably 19 at the time. And she knew I was young. I was living by myself. So, and they and Byron her and Byron Scott had a son at that time. That me and him were kind of close. We were the same age. And she really catered to me. Like she really cared. She took care of me. Like she treated me like her own son. I don't think Byron Scott liked that. I, I don't think he agreed with that. And they're divorced now, but I don't think he agreed with that at the time. And I think that's why he stopped playing me because it wasn't nobody better than me at the time. I was young. I was doing my job. I was playing well. But for me to come back fresh from rookie all-star and not play at all, I knew it was something personal to the point where I stopped playing and we were playing the San Antonio Spurs. Halftime, I'm just standing over there in my suit. Oh, no, I was in my uniform, and uh, my, Mike Brown came over was like, uh, why are you not playing? I'm like, man, your guess is better than mine, man. I'm, I just don't want to say the wrong thing to you, Coach Brown. <laughs> you know I will. He was like, uh, yeah, I know, but keep your head. We come and get you in so many words. And so after that season, I ended up playing summer league with San Antonio. Uh, ended up becoming second in scoring behind Dirk. The whiskey in the Utah Summer League to the point where I balled out so much right after the game, Pop pulled me to the side. Steven Jackson, you can be on this team, you can play, uh, you belong in this league. You can't smoke weed. You can't smoke weed on my team, Jack. This I'm talking about Pop was clear as day with it before he even offered me a contract or anything. I'm looking at you, I know you smoke, I hear you smoke, you don't hide it. As soon as I left Pop, I went smoke. Before and after I signed the contract, I smoked, Kerry. But I had to say what I had to say to get the cheddar. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, but I thank Pop because getting to San Antonio, Kerry, I think that's when I became a professional. That's when I learned this game is more than just playing the game. I learned how to prepare. I learned how to be a man. I learned how to be a professional. I learned how to be a teammate. I learned, a, I learned how to be a, a better brother to my teammates in San Antonio. Pop was, was like a father figure at some point because, you know, all the things that I was doing, I had friends staying with me. You know what I'm saying? The girl I was with at the time wasn't the best for me. And to, to be honest with you, Pop seen that as soon as I met him. He told me she wasn't the one for me. Yes, Pop told me. And um, Tim took me in like a big brother. Him and, him and Steve, uh, Steve Smith, they took me in like a big brother. On the flip side, David Robinson and his wife, I was going to spend holidays with them, going to church with them. So I had a balance of everything in San Antonio. You know, I had, I had a balance of everything. And I think being there... Be able to play with two Hall of Famers and David Robinson and Tim Duncan winning the championship with David Robinson his last year on his retirement year. 
I think that all made me, that was my uh, moment where I felt like I belonged here. When I, once I won that championship and Tim Duncan was get called me the ultimate teammate and David gave me credit for all the big shots, I felt like that's when I finally arrived. That's when I belonged in the NBA, that moment, winning that championship. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment connected with State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Walbroke, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The one million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the One Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. A champion and carry champion. That girl, you did it. Got a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment. Connected women. So here's the irony. Steven Jackson wins a chip with the Spurs, and he becomes, as he just said, a professional, right? He is now a professional. And I agree with him in so many ways because it really does change your mindset. But after he leaves the Spurs, he goes and he plays with the Pacers. And this is arguably what he's known for, famously or infamously, which is the malice and the palace. I asked Stephen to tell us what happened and only a way in which he can do. The brawl situation was crazy in Detroit. We were playing in Detroit at the time. The previous year, I wasn't on the Pacers. They had played in um, Detroit in the Eastern Conference Finals. It was a big robbery. They was almost fighting with the blows, and Detroit ended up winning. Uh, the next year, we were the favorite because this is my first time on this team, and adding me to this team made the roster so much better that we had the, one of the top teams, and they would say we're going to win the championship. Well, that game was a big game, and it was a statement game, and it was on TV. Come the fourth quarter, we blowing them out. We up by 15, 20. We all had good games. We talking shit, carry. It's going to be a long year for y'all. Yep, y'all had y'all run last year's over with, baby. You know, we talking cash crap. Uh, Ron and Ben going at it, you know, because they had words or whatever. So it got to the point where I'm at the free throw line. 15, 15, uh, probably 45 seconds left, something like that, carry. I shoot a free throw. First three, free throw, I make it. I step back to give Ron and uh, Jamal Tinsley fives. As I do that, I hear Jamal say, you can get your foul back, Ron. Remember, I didn't play with him in the finals the previous year, so I really didn't know what that meant. But anytime I've been on that team long enough, anytime you give Ron or put a batter in his back or give him any type of confidence to do something dumb, he going to do it. Here's Ron Artest explaining why he has beef with Ben Wallace. This is me and Ben Wallace beef. <laughs> it's basketball. Mm-hmm. He's getting defensive player of the years, and I want that. <laughs> That's simple. He got mm-hmm. four, I got one. Mm-hmm. Right? The year, the year I was going to get it, I led the league in text, flagrance, media's not voting for you, you know how that goes. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. If you, you, you wild and know it was for you, buddy. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So we was close. And then I came back and got it. The next year I was going to get it again, he got it. Mm-hmm. When I got suspended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He would argue that. Right? He's a great. Mm-hmm. That was an opportunity right there. So I think that's where, and we on the court, me and Ben didn't guard each other. And we was busting their ass. But sometimes me and Ben would get into the mix. So as I'm running down court, I'm like, it got to be Ben who he thinking about filing. I, I didn't see him talk trash. Nobody else doing the game care. So I run and guard Ben just so he can't file him. They throw the ball to Ben. The clock's running out, Carrie. We're going to go home with a win. And then at the end of the game, you don't want to foul nobody or send them to the free throw line. So I'm guarding Ben, just a little token defense, and I let him score. But as he's going up to score, Ron come from out of nowhere. Boo! <laughs> now, now, 
immediately when the foul happened. You had to be there to see this. Ben got maybe 200 pounds heavier at that moment. He just blew up. Right? And I'm seeing this. And he comes towards Ron and put his whole hands in both his eyes and push his head so hard, Kerry. I'm looking to see if it came off. I'm kind of looking in the stands to see if his head came off. He pushed Ron so well, Ron had to gather himself. You know, Ron is a big old boy too. So after Ron gathered himself, they about to lock up. We end up breaking it up. Kind of, you know, get Kirby gets to a pushing match. And just so happened, I was I was already cool with Rip Hamilton and I was cool with Rashid. I was like my brother. So we wasn't really trying to fight each other. But it had got to the point where as I'm trying to break it up, I see my close friend, Rip Hamilton, still talking shit. So I you turn out the huddle and square up, pull my jersey out and square up with him and Lindsey Hunter. Cause I'm I didn't went to that mode now. Okay, they talk, okay, we I'm in fighting mode now. Coaches grab me, we break it up. I calm down. Ron is laying on the scores table. So what people don't know is Ron was seeing a counselor or some type of lady he was talking to. I don't know what they call her. But they had me. Oh, oh trust me, Karen. They had me do a couple of sessions with her, too. They thought I was crazy, too. But she was a sweetheart. She was a sweetheart. She knew we wasn't crazy. She was just getting her check and doing her job. I felt on that. And uh, so they told Ron, when you get to a point where you can't control yourself, go lay down find a peaceful place. <laughs> this is they told <laughs> They told him find his happy place, right? So he did what he did what he was instructed to do. Laid on the store table and he took the announcer's headphones and put them on his head so he can block everything out. Okay, good job, Ron. To the point where Reggie was proud, Reggie Miller was proud of him. Reggie Miller went over there and put his hand on his chest, like, that's what I'm talking about, Ron. I'm proud of you, boy. That's what you're supposed to be doing. While he trying to calm down, whoever this guy is, he has to be a novice in cup throwing. He threw the cup, carry, where it stayed upright all the way till he got to Ron and hit Ron upright, then flipped over on him. They had a bet that the beer could land on Ron. Okay, in any state, you throw water, anything in somebody's face outside, it's assault. Today, it's assault. Ron looked in the stands and saw two guys clapping and like, yeah, we made it and landed. I won the bet. Not knowing as he beelined up there, he grabbed the wrong guy. So he's Donkey Kong beating up this dude. And the guy who actually threw the beer grabbed him from behind. So by that time, I make it up the steps a row above Ron. And as I land, I put my hands on Ron. Another guy throws another beer in Ron's face. You fair game. Ha, ah, come here. Lay him down. As I knocked him down, I'm on my way. To, I'm on my way to go Sammy Davidson and go stump him out. I got pulled back. I end up landing on the dude who actually threw the beer on Ron. So I'm tagging him in the head. Bow, bow, bow. I get pulled off by David Harrison, 6'10, 290. And he has me in the chokehold, not knowing he's choking me, Carrie. So I'm looking at Rasheed, telling Rasheed, trying to tell him I'm, he's choking me, I'm passing out. 
Because during that whole time, your adrenaline pump, you really don't breathe like you're supposed to. I'm not a boxer, so I don't know how to. So my adrenaline was pumping, so I really wasn't breathing. So I'm in the stands looking at she, and I'm blacking out, Carrie. I'm, I'm about to pass out. So I, he, some kind of way, I grab his arm, and he let me go, and I <gasps> stand up. And as I stand up, and you look at it, Rasheed grabbed me, and we all start walking back down to the court. As I'm walking to the court, I see Chuck Persons and grabbing Ron, and I'm following Ron to the um, back to the locker room. Carrie, every refreshment that they, that they sold at that arena, I had a taste of it on my uniform. <laughs> Peanuts, popcorn, links, uh, hot dogs, pickles. I just had appetizer, everything on my jersey walking up out of there. And as I got in the locker room, too, this is this is where the story is, gets crazy. After I get in the locker room, I sit down. Jamal Tins is just over there laughing like he thinks this was just the funniest thing ever. He like he, but, but I, I got to give him the benefit of the doubt. He laughed at everything though, good or bad. He laughed at everything. I I sit down and I put my hands on my legs, kind of like, and I pull up. My hands are full of blood, both my hands, mm. from me jumping over the bleachers and all. I didn't pay no attention to none of that care. I was in the mode. All my legs are scratched up and I'm looking at my legs. I'm like, man, as I'm trying to figure myself together, Ron tapped me. Yo, Stack, you think we gonna get in trouble? <laughs> Let me think about that, Ron. Trouble? Boy, you lucky we have a job tomorrow. Ron Artest saying, do you think we're in trouble? Well, that was... <laughs> Only a small part of what would happen. Steven Jackson was suspended for 30 games and lost close to $2 million in salary because of the malice in the palace. Not to mention, the then commissioner, David Stern, started enforcing all type of rules to make sure nothing like that would ever happen again. There was a dress code. Players could only behave or act a certain way because they wanted to ensure the fans that they were quote unquote safe. I have my own opinions on that, but we'll leave that there. The point of the matter is, is that the quality of being loyal is something that Stephen Jackson holds near and dear. And he says, it's often the reason why people just don't understand who he is. I've been so misunderstood for running in the stands with Ron and for helping Jamal Tinsley shoot my gun, try to help him at the, at the strip club. And people don't know, I was probably five minutes when my brother was getting beat to death. I was five minutes away from him not knowing it was going on. So not being not being able to be there for my brother, I think that haunted me a lot where I make it a point to be there for the guys I call my brother today. You know, that's why I didn't think twice to go on the stands for Ron. That's why I didn't think twice to help Jamal Tinsley. That's why I didn't think twice to go to Minnesota stand up for George Floyd. Because I've always been my brother's keeper. And 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 being so close to my brother and not being there, that always haunted me. So I've always took pride and if I feel like you're my brother, if I'm with you, if I tell you I love you and I know it's reciprocated, I'll go through a wall for you. And that's just that's just how I've been since then. From day one, Stephen Jackson has been unapologetic about being loyal. And it was that same loyalty that led him to become one of the faces of a national civil rights movement. One of his dear friends was murdered by police officers. We know him as George Floyd, but Stephen Jackson calls him Georgie. Georgie, me and Georgie was always in the streets, Carrie. We never did anything, Carrie, but hang out, get bent, 
and go to club. That's all we did. So we had a, a, a mutual friend named Telly Joyce. Rest in peace, Telly. So he knew me as a youngster playing basketball, and uh, I used to always play on the courts while the drugs were sold. He come, he came to me like, bro, I got a homeboy that look just like you. Y'all might have the same daddy. He a little older than you, but I'm telling you, y'all look alike, bro. I'm like, man, please, man. I'm a teenager at times. So I think they're making fun of me. He brings Floyd back the next week. Soon as I see Floyd, we see each other. I'm like, man, who your daddy? Who your daddy? That's how much we look alike. And uh, we just became cool on a respect what we called each other twin. This is a coordinated activity happening across this nation. And so we are in a state of emergency. Black people are dying in a state of emergency. We cannot look at this as an isolated incident. The reason why buildings are burning are not just for our brother, George Floyd. Marlon King got killed for doing what I'm doing. My Malcolm X got killed for doing what I'm doing. So I get a week, 10 to 15 death threats for people just don't want equality. They don't hate me. They just don't want us to be an equal. And it's been tough because a lot of times I, I didn't know what I was doing, Carrie. My first four weeks have been in Minnesota. I, I, I guarantee you I probably slept 10 hours in four weeks because I, I was... I wanted to continue to make my people proud. Um, I want I wanted to do right for Georgie, you know. And people and a lot of people don't know when 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 Georgie got killed, I was still in pain from Kobe. I was I like when that happened, I left my neighborhood, and just walked miles. Like I I was still hurting from Kobe, and that was a close brother of mine. So when that happened, like. Everything just came out at one time. It's just like I've been holding it in. Okay, now enough is enough. I can't take no more. I've, I've never felt so helpless in my life. What can I do to help my brother? And Carrie, I have to say this. I had no idea what I was going down there and do. I, I knew nine out of 10 times when this happens to a black male, first thing they try to do is assess, assassinate their character, bring up old stuff, and none of them ever had an NBA player with one of the hottest podcasts in the world to speak on their behalf. I had to be that. I had to be his voice. And everything I said at the press conference, I think uh, hearing having Tamika Mallory speak before me, that all helped me. You know, I mean, I love her so much. Oh, my God. Shout out to Tamika, man. I, I love her so much. And I think hearing her speak before me, it helped me relax. Cause I didn't, you know, I, everything I said came off the top of my head and from my heart, and uh, it helped me relax and make me get a hold of what I, the, the message that I wanted to come across. Because before I spoke, uh, Carrie, a lot of people was thinking I was coming with, fuck white people, I hate all y'all, die motherfucker. That's what they was expecting, you know what I'm saying? That's what they was expecting. But as you know, Carrie, I hit them with that articulate shit, and at the same time, get my point across, and it made it real simple. I, I love everybody, but the time of playing both sides is over. Either you with us or you against us. And I'm glad that I was able to speak in an intelligent manner, uh, 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 a heartfelt manner. And Carrie, I had no idea I'd be the face of the biggest civil rights movement ever. 18 countries, 50 states. I could never thought this would be who I am. 
I've always been the guy when God throws stuff at me, I embrace it, whether it's good or bad, because I know either it's a test or it's a blessing. So I'm going to, I, I embrace it all the time. And I embraced, I, I had embraced this too, Carrie, with going down there, but I didn't know all this was going to come from me. I'm glad I did go down there because not only did I, I do something, I did something for the world, but my life has changed, Carrie. My life has changed from this for the better because it's forcing me to not be a hypocrite. I can't say that I'm my brother's keeper and I'm promoting music with somebody killing somebody or they talking about shooting each other up. I, I take pride in taking these steps and not being a hypocrite. And I love the person I am now. And, and, and I hate I had to lose my brother for all these things to happen in my life. But I know he's smiling down knowing that his death is not going in vain and he changed the world. A lot of things are changing from, from his incident. And um, I'm just thankful that I had a part in it. This past summer was one that we will never forget. It changed everyone, including Steven Jackson. Uh, the division, the healing, the hurt, the pain, oftentimes documented in so many different ways. And now the trial of the officer who is accused of murdering George Floyd is underway. If you look back on everything that's happened, the question is simply to Steven Jackson, would you have done anything differently? I think I would have went harder. You know, I was out there protesting. I was doing this and doing that. But I think during the time when it first happened, I think we could have we could have did more as far as far as getting them to understand exactly why we out here tearing stuff up. Because I because even if you look at it, after that, Rashard Brooks, Ahmaud Arbery, mm -hmm. they still didn't get it. So obviously we didn't do enough because it's still happening. So in my mind, I could have done more. I don't know what it is because I didn't know what I was doing when I went down there. But if I could have done something different, Carrie, I would have done more. Steven Jackson, the basketball player. Steven Jackson, the, the podcaster slash analyst. Steven Jackson, the businessman. Steven Jackson, the activist. There, um, so many people see you in a lot of different ways. Steven Jackson, a family man. You always talk about your babies. Um, Steven Jackson, a ladies man. You gotta, you know, no one really knows your personal life. You got some <laughs> Ain't that a, I don't tell, I don't tell nobody my business either. So I know how it is. <laughs> I know how it is. Keep them guessing, Keep them guessing. Ain't yeah. none of your business Keep and stuff. <laughs> but is there a part of you that feels like I know for me there is, but is there a part of you that feels like you're not being honest with everyone about who you are and you wish you could remove that mask? I think with me, Carrie, I want my emotions on my sleeve. And I think I give my honest self to the world more than the normal guy. You know, I think as far as how I live, who I, who I am as a person, what I have, what I've, what, I've, what I've obtained, who I love and who I hate, that's clear as day. I don't have skeletons in my closet. You can't assassinate my character in no type of way, but I think I do have things in my past that people would judge. You know, people judge people for selling drugs. People judge people for carrying guns. People, ju people judge people for, for certain stuff. I could care less, but people still tend to judge people like that. Uh, I have kids who 
I care what they think. I care what they hear. And I think for the most part, what I'm doing today means more to me than anything I did in basketball. I honestly feel like I wasn't appreciated in basketball. Three or four years, I should have made the All-Star game. And I simply didn't make it because I had my teammates back in the brawl. Not because of the way I played the game, because I I speak my mind when the coach is wrong on the teammate. Uh, or I make a rap song when the Clippers have a, a racist owner. Those are the reasons why I don't get my accolades for playing in the NBA. So I never really was was felt like I was respected and gave a fat chance in the NBA, Kerry. I honestly don't. I think I think I was judged and and, and scrutinized. Um, even with the brawl, Kerry, we if the brawl happened today, we wouldn't get suspended. With everything that's going on today, we wouldn't have got suspended. We're at work, a guy throws a beer on the court. How are we supposed to respond? At that time, they was trying to save the game and stop the game for being so hood and so black. So they was looking for a reason to change the dress code. They was looking for somebody to blame, to have a face for, okay, this is why we changing all the rules because these guys. And they were looking for that at the time and I fit, I fit the bill. Fine, I'm cool with it. Uh, what I'm doing now means more than me. I wanna be known for being the face of 18 countries and the, and the 50 states, the biggest civil rights movement. I wanna be known as the face for change. What I'm doing now, going from city to city, trying to make it to all 50 states, giving back to people who I know need, people in these areas that the whole world know that if we come together, we can kind of end all this poverty. We know all this stuff, but we're not doing it. The fact that I'm able to give a helping hand carry, this mean more to me than any basketball, any ring I could wear. This mean more because I'm actually changing lives and I'm doing something that's bigger than me. I'm not playing the game. I'm actually giving my time, my finances, my 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 health, everything. I'm putting everything on the line for betterment for other people, and uh, no better feeling. I've never had no better feeling. To be honest, I feel like Stephen Jackson has shared all he has needed to share on this platform, but I have to ask him in this moment: When was the last time, or if ever, you found yourself completely vulnerable? When are you naked? My oldest daughter knows more than anybody. Anybody on this earth, my daughter knows more. She she's never judged me. She never judged me. Uh, she's my best friend. Um, I think she's kind of like my shrink because I know she's not gonna judge me. You know, I, I I can't my Tamia Jackson and Skylar Jackson. I can't do no wrong in their eyes, and I want to keep it that way. I'm really grateful that Steven Jackson came on the podcast today. I appreciate his honesty. Um, and I appreciate him saying he is at his most vulnerable naked when he is with his daughters. And for many men, it's their daughters who can do that, who can bring that out of them. So there's that honesty that only your children can elicit. I do believe, though, his best naked emotion is his loyalty. Um, and the reason why I say it's a naked emotion is because he does it so selflessly. I don't know if you were able to understand the dynamics of him losing his brother and not being there to help him. And why, as a result of that, he feels it necessary to protect those that are in his life that he cares about, that he considers family that he considers close friends that was the theme throughout this entire podcast when he talked about every single important moment in his life it was the loyalty that kept him there that kept him coming back that allowed him to define who he was to make him feel better about 
who he is as a human. For instance, the malice in the palace, not everybody's running into the stand to protect Ron Artest or even help him, correct? In fact, everyone wasn't. It was Steven Jackson. And there was a reason for that. And he did it without even caring what others would say. I mean, the, the repercussions, being fined, what the league is going to say about you, what your basketball legacy would ultimately look like because you were a part of something that was considered a black eye for the NBA. He didn't care about any of those things. To me, that's a beautiful quality. And I often think to myself, am I that kind of friend? I mean, I'm listening to him tell this story over and over again. Am I that kind of friend? Can I do that? And I don't know. I got to be honest with y'all. I think I am. I'm sure my friends would tell you that I am. But I can't tell you that I'm running into the stands with the malice in the palace. I can tell you what I what I could do. That same loyalty was on display when he went to Minneapolis to make sure people knew who George Floyd was. That was his friend. And what happened to his friend was not right. It was not fair. And you heard him say over and over again, he had no idea what he was doing when he went to Minnesota, but he did it anyway, because he's a loyal friend and he wanted to make sure that someone spoke for George Floyd because he didn't have a voice. And now that is a beautiful thing. But again, it's that same beautiful naked emotion of being loyal. And I salute Steven Jackson for that. The officer accused of murdering George Floyd, his trial is actually underway as we do this podcast. Simultaneously, we also found out that the Floyd family received a $27 million civil suit settlement. Now that's interesting because all the while, what happened this summer where we saw a racial renaissance of righteousness, something that we hadn't seen within the last 60 years, really described the emotions of a frustrated people, a frustrated culture. But at the end of the day, there was healing, healing for Stephen Jackson specifically. He is a loyal person and often described as a troublemaker in the league, misunderstood in the league. It was his loyalty. He wanted to be his brother's keeper. Now, while being his brother's keeper, he found himself in compromising situations. But now he is arguably the face of one of the largest civil rights movements we've seen within the last 60 years. I'm also glad to hear him share his story because it puts in perspective what we all should be trying to do. And that is really evaluate who we are from top to bottom when we're at our most vulnerable. I appreciate y'all listening. Tune in next week. I may wear my underwear. I may not. That's none of y'all business, though. I might have dimples in my booty. I may not. None of y'all business, though. Uh, join us for another edition of The Naked Podcast with yours truly, Carrie Champion. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO. 
which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. 